Ladies and gentlemen, we may be approaching a fateful hour. All night long, bulletins have been pouring in from Berlin, claiming that D-Day is here, claiming that the invasion of Western Europe has begun. From Vanderbilt University, it's One Time Pod. Stories on cryptography throughout history told by students. I'm your host, Carson McRae. And today's topic, the D-Day Carrier Pigeon Cipher. In 1982, David and Ann Martin began the process of renovating a fireplace that had been covered up for many years. After a long day of chipping away at the wall, an old Victorian fireplace finally emerged. About halfway through cleaning it out, they discovered a huge chunk of the chimney had been packed tightly with twigs and various materials. As they pulled out the scraps, they discovered something a little unusual. Mixed inside of the jumbled mess were bones. Upon closer inspection, they discovered that the bones belonged to a pigeon, and a red capsule was attached to one of its legs. After removing the capsule, the couple discovered a strange letter inside. There were 27 seemingly random groupings of five letters, and only two parts of the letter itself were readable. The first readable part stated that two copies of the letter had been sent, and the second was that they were sent by Sergeant W. Stott. Uncertain of their discovery, they approached their neighbor, Wilfred Dunderdale, who had worked for the British Secret Intelligence Service from 1921 to 1959. It was deemed that the couple found a carrier pigeon, or a pigeon used to transport messages. Due to this, the letter was sent around and even past members of Bletchley Park, the site where British codebreakers operated during World War II, had been called upon to make sense of the letter. Unfortunately, to date, many are still left perplexed by the message and some have even deemed it unsolvable without the original key. Of course, there are some who have claimed to have found a solution. One such group is a team of Canadians from Lakefield Heritage Research, or LHR. They believe that the original key was from a World War I artillery codebook. One of the reasons this claim is not widely believed is because if they are correct about this method of encryption, it would undermine a lot about known safe encryption methods and also, in a way, suggests that the British had not actually been frontrunners in cryptography. We will explore why and how safe encryption methods can be so crucial later on in this podcast. Nonetheless, LHR claimed that the message was sent by 27-year-old Sergeant William Stott during World War II. He is said to have been parachuted behind enemy lines in Normandy to report back to the British regarding intel he gathered on the Germans occupying the area. Here is the start of the message. Artillery Observer at K Sector, Normandy. Requested Headquarters Supplement Report. Panzer Attack. Blitz. West Artillery Observer Tracking Attack. The decryption speculation goes on in that confusing manner, which definitely makes sense because Stott probably threw some rambling into the report to throw off anyone from potentially decrypting the message. Whether this is an accurate solution to the D-Day Carrier Pigeon Cipher or not, it definitely puts into perspective the necessity of messages like this being encoded. Let's go ahead and shift the focus to take a closer look at D-Day and Carrier Pigeon specifically to make sense of this odd situation. It's June 6, 1944. You're surrounded by grim-faced soldiers who grumble anxiously as the rough conditions of the early morning waves splash water into the boat. 
Slowly, the shores of Normandy come into focus in the distance. You feel the hairs in the back of your neck stand as the situation becomes more and more real. Suddenly, you hear the flutter of wings and look up as a pigeon goes flying over your head. An unsettling feeling creeps over you at the realization that crucial information directly involving you and your fellow comrades' lives rested in the fate of a carrier pigeon. During D-Day, 156,000 American, British, and Canadian soldiers landed on the shores of a 50-mile stretch containing five beaches. Each one of them relied on strong encryption and the safe transportation of messages between sender and receiver. Sometimes this took the form of a telegraph cable, sometimes it took the form of a radio. However, in the case of D-Day, the use of carrier pigeons was widespread. In order to learn more about carrier pigeons and get potential answers for what might have happened to the D-Day carrier pigeon, I made a phone call to Jonathan Hagstrom. He has worked for the U.S. Geological Survey in Manlo Park, California for 39 years. Much of his research on pigeons is actually done on the side and stems from his background in paleomagnetism and theories on how this plays into the homing of pigeons. Uh, this is Carson McRae from Vanderbilt University. Right. Hi, Carson. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? After a little back and forth between Dr. Hagstrom and myself, and a little explanation of what we'd be discussing, I began asking some questions. So let's jump to that point. So like to start out, um, what sort of training is necessary for these pigeons? Well, most of the pigeons uh, now are racing and they are trained by being released in the cardinal directions from the loft, which would be north, south, east, and west. And they're taken out about 500 meters, and then it's doubled. Then they're taken out a kilometer, then two kilometers, four, up till they get about 30 kilometers out. And once they've been taken out in all directions, then they've basically learned their navigational system. And after that, they can be taken uh, hundreds of kilometers away and be released, and they will be able to fly home. How likely is it for them to get confused and end up in a chimney, like in this scenario? Well, pigeons will land if it starts raining. Uh, they do not fly if in inclement weather. They do not fly at night. So if they have been released very far away and they can't make it back in the day, then they will roost uh, overnight, usually in a tree, but maybe the pigeon found in the chimney uh, somehow you know, landed on the the roof of the house or on the chimney itself and if it was raining or not well or something it could have fallen in um, I don't know but they they will they will stop can gunshots and other abnormal noises kind of throw them off I think uh, gunshots would be uh, too high a frequency again you know I'm talking about infrasound which by definition is below our the human hearing range so pigeons have been uh, shown in the laboratory to hear down to 0.05 hertz. Humans can hear down to about 10 hertz if the sound is really loud. Uh, but Unfortunately, as you begin to hear, a class was letting out and kind of messed up the rest of the audio. 
But the gist of what he was saying was gunshots, no. Cannons, maybe. But even then, it's a big maybe and would probably only be for a brief period of time. We had a little sidebar after that. The other thing I might mention uh, is that uh, I know during World War One that, uh, you know, they used uh, homing pigeons uh, almost exclusively for messages. And in the trenches, each side had shotguns with birdshot in it. And if they saw a pigeon headed from their side back toward the other, they would do everything they could to shoot it down. And um, a lot of the pigeons that came back, some of them were even awarded medals because they had been badly shot up um, by, you know, a shotgun blast, but hadn't been killed. So, and they, their homing instinct was so strong that they still came back, even though they were badly injured. So there's a possibility that the bird in the, in the uh, chimney may have been injured, but I, I don't know if there was any uh, autopsy or something that showed it that it had been injured. Yeah, I actually read a story that some, uh, some pigeons were taken as prisoners of war and then sent back with like messages and stuff, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Dr. Hagstrom's professional insight, the last piece of the puzzle to unpack is encryption. In large, D-Day became a major turning point in the war for the Allied forces. What might have seemed like an insignificant piece of information could have disrupted the entire course of the war if it fell into the wrong hands. Seventy years later, the exact message of the D-Day carrier pigeon cipher still cannot be cracked. This in itself proves that the encryption method is secure and withstands the test of time. While the exact encryption method used is still not completely certain, it is widely believed that it is the work of a one-time pad cipher. The gist of the cipher involves senders and receivers having a pre-shared set of keys that would be used only once each day. And without anyone having access to the original pad, it is impossible to decrypt. Frequency analysis, or calculating which letter has the highest occurrence percentage and replacing it with the most occurring letter in the English alphabet, is not even possible. If you have a piece of paper and pencil nearby, now would be the time to get it to follow along. Also, keep in mind, there are many ways to do the encryption portion of a one-time pad, and I am simply providing the easiest example. Let's say Jack and Jill decide they would like to send the message, hello, to each other using the one-time pad method. First, they would need to compile a one-time pad longer than the message. So, in this case, we will say the pad is F-J-Q-U-N-P-O-V-T-M. This is a completely random grouping of letters. In this example, we will split the text up into groups of five, just like the D-Day carrier pigeon cipher. However, the groupings are completely up to the person encoding the message. So our first group is F-J-Q-U-N. However, the first set is often left alone so that both the sender and recipient know that they are using the same pad. We will move on to POVTM. Next, line up hello above the second grouping, POVTM. In this method, the letters in the alphabet correspond to a number between 0 and 25. So A is 0, B is 1, C is 2, and so on. 
So the H in hello is a 7, and the P in POVTM is a 15. The next part can also be predetermined, and in our example, we are simply subtracting the pads number from the message number. So 7 minus 15 is negative 8. But because negative 8 does not correspond to a letter in our alphabet, we must add 26 to it. This is also known as modular arithmetic. Basically, the max number of options we have is 26, so the numbers wrap back around to each other and only exist in the range of 0 to 26. So by adding 26 to any negative number we get, we are able to get back into the plane and create a new and unique shifted number for each of our 26 encoded letters. So again, 7 minus 15 is negative 8, plus 26 is 18, giving us the new letter of S. You would continue to do this for each of the letters in hello and would eventually get SQQSC. One way this example really demonstrates the power of the one-time pad is by showing that H and L, two different letters, both become S, and the two Ls became Q and S, respectively. Again, showing that frequency analysis is not possible, and the only way to find the solution is by knowing the original pad. This also shows why it would be very foolish to reuse the same code or pad. To reverse the process or use cryptanalysis, you would simply do the inverse of the encoding process. So take the letter S's number, 18, and subtract 26, giving you negative 8 again. You would then add the key letter's number, so in our case, negative 8 plus 15, and you are back at 7, which is the H in hello. You would continue this process until you have decoded the whole message. It is very important to note that for a one-time pad cipher to truly be undecipherable and secure, three conditions must be met. First, the key must actually be random. Secondly, safe distribution of the keys must occur. Finally, both parties must use each pad once and destroy previously used ones. If these conditions are met, it will be impossible to crack a one-time pad cipher. Do you think that the D-Day Carrier Pigeon Cipher will ever be cracked, or is the original key forever lost? Does the potential solution to the code make sense? Did Bletchley Park solve the cipher already, but were unable to release the answer to the public? Or will only time tell? These questions are yours to answer.